Why do I keep doing this? Because I have unfinished business. I set out on this journey um, to be a world champion, and I'm not there yet. I've got a few more chances left. Um, I found a few ways that don't work to do it, <laughs> uh, but I think I've got it in me, and that's what fuels every day. That's what gets me up in the morning. I left a comfortable job, um, uh, you know, 10 year, you know, essentially job security for life to, uh, to be able to look back when I'm done uh, with this sport and know rather than wonder what if. So I'm gonna know. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a wonderful conversation with the real up-and-coming Ironman athlete, Matt Hansen. And the reason I say up-and-coming is because I think there's still more there. Even though he's a four-time North American Ironman champion, uh, one recently with a seven-hour 56 in Des Moines, Iowa. So I definitely don't mean any disrespect when I say up-and-coming. I just believe that this guy is the one that we're going to be talking about in a couple of years as being one of the all-time greats. So it was wonderful to have a sit-down conversation with him, understand his journey a little bit and what it's taken for him to to get to where he is right now and what it looks like going forward for him. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did because I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. You know, the other thing with Matt, he's a pres- professor of sports science. So he, he comes from a, a background uh, of teaching and he's taken that and he took the big gamble to go all in to become a professional athlete and and I just love that and he also has his coaching business and everything else so go check it out you can also find um, Matt now on any question so you can go download any question on iOS or Android or you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Matt Hanson try all one word so that's anyquestion.com forward slash Matt Hansen. Try. Go ask him questions there. Uh, he's already got a bunch of answers. You can find other athletes and other incredible people on any question. There's now almost 300 experts across about eight different channels. So go check it out. That's any question, one word, iOS or Android. I hope you enjoy this show as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I'm joined by one of the greatest Ironman athletes in the world. He's currently ranked eighth on the PTO World Rankings, and he's been steadily making his way up this list for many years. He's quietly gone about the job of winning major Ironmans, including four North American titles. Combine that with his multitude of half Ironman wins, and you start to see the incredible foundation that he's building. With his, with his background as a professor of sports science and just his natural ability to run a fast marathon in an Ironman, add his discipline and, and determination, and I truly have him on course to become one of the real true greats. It's an honor and privilege to have him join me. So welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Matt Hansen, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks, thanks for that intro. It was... Uh... Quite nice, I guess. <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. It's um, I, I I try to make sure I, I include as much as I can in sort of a you know a fluff up for the intro, and I you know it's not hard with all of my guests. So, mate, how does it make you feel when you hear you know four North American 
Ironman titles. Yeah, I mean, obviously that race has uh, has made my career. It's it's moved a couple times, been on different courses, anyways. Uh, but three of them in Texas on two different courses, and then uh, the most recent one in in Iowa. I mean, if you take if you take those four races off of my resume, I'm, uh, it's pretty ho hum. But uh, yeah, huh. I've been able to at least show up for that one year in year out. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty outstanding, mate. And to be able to do four from you know, it's not four from four. Is it four from four? Four in a row? No, no. I've uh, I've had a, an epic failure, a fifth, and uh, a fourth as well. Awesome. Well, before we go into your, your, your races and, and what you've done, give us a quick update. Where are you at the moment? You're on break because you've just done an Ironman about 10 days ago. Yeah. Where, where, where are you at the moment? Right now, I am in uh, Clearwater, Florida, uh, not too far from you. I came out here. My wife had a conference here, and so uh, I thought it would be a good time to... Uh, to come out and just kind of kickstart the heat heat prep for the next block of races that I have. So I'm uh, swimming a bit in the ocean every morning and then literally just riding my bike during the day and, and uh, in the heat, nothing, right. nothing hard or structured. I just kind of find a route on, uh, on, uh, on Strava or Garmin connect or whatever. That seems like a good one. And that's what I do on the day. So it's been, it's been fun, a fun week. Mate, how, how hot is it at the moment down here though? I can't imagine doing yeah. long rides in the heat here. It's like, I, I think I saw the other day, it said 91 or 92, but feels like 99 with the humidity. Yeah. On Monday, I started my ride at two o'clock. Uh, or, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I had to bite my pride because I, I've got a roadie here. So just two bottles, but mm. I, I did a two and a half hour ride and I had to stop for a bottle refill with, uh, the, the real feel was a uh, 114 and, and I was, it was my first real day in the heat and humidity and I was, I was suffering. So yeah. I've gotten a little earlier start since then. How have you found it? Like, uh, you know, Laura and I, we traveled around Florida and Australia and then we'd go back up to Colorado and, you know, everyone always talked about altitude, but we, we found the humidity, the extreme humidity, almost a tougher battle, you know, in terms of fatigue and just what it, and the wear and tear it. How, how sure. do you compare them? Yeah. I mean, the altitude will, uh, will slow things down a little bit, but it doesn't like, chronically take like zap the energy out of mm. you like the humidity does and i notice that even when i do like a sauna block or a steam room block as i'm trying to prep in colorado for a hot for a hot race that uh just having that extra load on the body definitely takes a toll and you know it's something that we have to be careful about because you know we always you know as as coaches we measure things in terms of tss but uh you know if, if you're looking at the power meter or pace you know that that really doesn't show up in uh, extra load on the body really doesn't show up. Mm. Do, do you think there is a, a really great training effect you get by training in humidity? Like, you know, there's a lot of research on the training effects of training at altitude. Is there a positive effect that a coach can lean into or an athlete can lean into by sort of saying, hey, if I'm struggling here, it means I'm getting stronger for when I'm not in such a hum humid place? Yeah, I think that it can be done in blocks. I mean, for me, ideally... Uh, it's not something that I'm doing year round. Um, mm. I think that some athletes can handle it just a little bit better than others, but it's always, uh, I guess, at least since I, since I kind of had a heat stroke issue a number of years back, uh, I've been struggling with the humidity component, especially. And so I like to do it in, in 10 to 14 day blocks, uh, as I'm prepping for, 
uh, hot and humid races. Interesting. But maybe you know, maybe I need to do even more than that. Yeah, you're welcome. Come down here, mate. South Florida. It'll always give you that hot, humid. Even in the middle of winter, it's still you yep. get those warm days. But mate, this year it's been pretty solid. You got to be pretty happy with it, I think. You know, looking at your 2021, you had a second to Bart Ernest at the 70.3 Ironman Florida, but I mean a fourth at Clash Daytona, I guess. So it was a reasonable year. But this year you've come out swinging with. You know, a strong second place at Challenge Porto Veras and, um, you know, second at Chattanooga, 70.3 to Jason West, where you ran a 109, I think, which was yeah. it's insane. Anybody who's done Chattanooga knows that that's not a super fast race either. It's not. It's definitely uh, definitely a tough run. Uh, yeah. The bike can be fast depending on the weather, but, uh, but yeah, the, you know, that run is not an easy one. Yeah, I mean, last year uh, I started off the year pretty well uh, and had a little bit of a crash in May at uh, at St. George that ended up, I kind of tried to fight through an injury I got there mm. and uh, ended up having to uh, have surgery right after the Collins Cup, which kind of derailed, derailed all, my entire summer and then, you know, all the way into fall. And so to get back and put together a, a modest day in Daytona was a big win for me because that was mm-hmm. really just a few runs, you know, into the next build after, uh, after surgery, um, and recovering from that. So, uh, it set things up to where I thought that I could have a good year and, you know, I've, I've executed pretty well minus, uh, the, the race that really mattered this year in St. George. I'd, I'd like to have that one back. But, yeah, what, uh, uh, Can I interrupt right there? Because looking at the results, uh, your bike, what happened? Yeah, uh, that's still been a huge head scratcher. I mean, if uh, my power from St. George was within, you know, a couple watts of my power in uh, Des Moines. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I obviously ran well and I swam well in that race. Hmm. And the bike acted or the the results or the the data looks like there was something like a brake rubbing or something like that. I didn't ever hear that or anything like that. But you know, when we kind of model things before and after the race, I'd been out there training, uh, for a number of weeks and had had numerous runs on the course. And my CDA numbers were, you know, in training kit were much higher than I had during that race. And so I'm, I'm a bit at a loss there. It's been a, a bit of a frustration. I didn't change anything on my bike setup that should have caused that from just uh, you know, bottle placement or something like that. But, uh, I mean, that almost sounds like a, an excuse. Uh, no, no, no. It's a, it's, it's a discussion, mate. It's not an excuse where I'm, I'm here to soundboard with you because when you look at your world championship bike of, of riding a 435 and 19 minutes off the leaders, 19 minutes, which is not right for you. And then yes. you go jump forward only a few weeks and you go to Des Moines and, and the Ironman North American champs. You have the fastest bike and that's two minutes over Tim O'Donnell, who's, you know, we, we all regard as one of the Uber bikers in Ironmans and you're two minutes faster than him and you ride a 409. I mean, they, it is a completely different scoreboard. And that's the thing. You've gone from being way down the list to the fastest bike in, in four weeks. And you said the numbers are still pretty much the same. You know, it's it, obviously, uh, you know, would have much rather had the you know, better performance <laughs> in St. George uh, uh, and, you know, much better off on all counts. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's part of racing is, is making sure that you're on top of, of everything. You know, that's from strategy to, to, uh, making sure everything's all set. And, you know, I, have gone back to the drawing board a number of times and, and that one, I, I haven't found an answer for that. Mm. 
who are you who are you riding with? Who, what bike are you on? Yeah, I've been on a, a QR for for a number of years, mm-hmm. and um, it clearly wasn't anything with the the frame itself. No. Um, you know, it'd be you know something on the you know component wise would have been run, rubbing, but again, I couldn't notice anything, and you know, tore down the bike and and built it back up. Uh, oh, completely, free, and then you know went to Chattanooga <laughs> and rode a two flat. So you know, yeah. it yeah, um, something was off. Something was off. It's not an excuse; it's just a fact. Because when you look at all the numbers, it's just like it just sucks that it was off on the on the on the key day. And you, I mean, you still ran up to thirteenth. Um, obviously, you're more than that. Um, I know that. You know that. <laughs> and so it's, you don't walk away going that was awesome. But I think when you put it all together. And knowing that there's an extra, there's two world championships. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the race that's eluded me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my previous previous performances in Kona have not been good. And, and uh, you know, obviously that kind of keeps me under the radar a bit. And it also definitely hurts with uh, with what I'm trying to build and what I'm trying to accomplish as well. And so that's that's where all the major goals lie. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get that uh that unlocked this this fall. I, I think you're one of the athletes that I've noticed over this, you know, the COVID years since 2019, as somebody that's just sort of progressed, 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 just a little percentage each year. And those percentages are massive when you start becoming, you know, you're in the one top 1% of the sport that when you can be still improving, are you, do, do you sense that as well, that you're sort of just getting a little bit better each year? Yeah, it's 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 been a fun process and, uh, you know, moving out to Colorado, I think really helped with the last, uh, last kind of jump that moved out in, uh, the end of 2020 and, uh, just having people to swim with every day, um, before I was swimming on my own in, in Iowa in the pool that really, it didn't even have lane lines. Um, that was <laughs> my training ground and that was fine and we made it work, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being able to swim and, you know, with Tim and Justin uh, Metzler uh, on a regular basis and, you know, really get pushed by those guys, you know, going out and riding with them afterwards, running, you know, with the, with the crew beforehand, you know, just I'm up in Boulder twice a week and, and just have uh, that group to train with has, has helped bring things to another level, I think. And yeah. um, well, you can yeah, see it, you can see it, you know, you, you got fourth out of the water in Des Moines last weekend at the, at the Ironman North American Championships there. I mean, fourth and only, what was it, maybe two minutes behind? Was it Tim yeah. O'Donnell out of the front? I mean... Yeah, a little bit more than that. I think I, uh, the, I benefited from a long transition there. Um, I was able to make up... I think the transition total was over a half mile, so I was able to... <laughs> Get those long legs of yours bounding through. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're very modest. You won't give yourself much. I kind of like, <laughs> I try and pump you up and go, yeah, you had a really great swim. Yeah, you know, it was a long transition. I'm like, no. Yeah, I, it was definitely a good swim, uh, especially because I was alone to come out of the water by myself, only two minutes down from those guys. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. I was very happy with that. I mean, I think Chattanooga the week before to come out on those guys' feet was was mm-hmm. good as well. So definitely moving in the right direction there. Yeah, but I got to say, mate, you're running Des Moines. Come on, 249. I know. For you, well, that, for you come was, on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not my uh, best run oh, there. Uh, I did, did things a little bit different and uh, then, you know, definitely had to uh, – 
had to go into conservation mode for the last 10k. I even stopped in a porta pot for two minutes to to pee. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I was I had a seven minute lead and I was quite uncomfortable. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna just stop and and regroup and and uh, enjoy the porta pot time here for a little bit. Was that and, hard to get uh, yeah. going after that? Was no, that- it was so much better. I could stand up straight. <laughs> oh really? You were really just busting and, and foot cramped. Yeah, over. yeah, yeah. I I've been really focusing on you know, some of the years in Kona or a couple of years after I got heat stroke, my uh, my body kind of freaked out and my sweat rate has gone up to upwards of eight pounds per hour. Uh, and Get so the last time I wow. actually did Kona, uh, when I wasn't injured going in, uh, I lost 20, 20, over 20 pounds during the race. And so I've been really working on that. And so that was the last two folds that I've done are the first two times that I've ever had to pee during a full, um, since, you know, basically the overheating incident that I had that kind of rewired my, my hypothalamus. Oh my goodness. 20 pounds. So that's uh, yeah. eight, eight water, kilograms. Yeah. What are we talking? I'm trying to convert quickly 2.2 2 pounds to a kilogram. So yeah, people can two. do the math there, but that's, yeah. that's insane. That's, that's a yeah. lot. Mate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I flew out to the university of Connecticut, worked in the heat lab there. And you know, the, you know, they have the best, the Corey Stringer Institute, which is one of the best heat laps in the world. And, uh, they, they were pretty baffled. Uh, yeah, that was in, in there. I was eight pounds an hour and three, three grams of salt. So I've been working on different ways to try to get that down and, uh, spend a lot of time working with the guys at first endurance and, and then also, uh, Delta G now, uh, I've been incorporating, uh, ketones into it mm. as well just to, uh, allow me to take in more salt, uh, and keep the osmolality a little bit down. Uh, so it, it's been, uh, it's been an experiment and, and I'm finally getting on top of it. I'm feeling I've been racing, you know, Chattanooga was definitely hot. I ran well there, uh, you know, kind of derailed a little bit at the end of Des Moines. But I think a lot of that was because I was so focused on the fluids that, you know, I just, I let the calories get away from me and, and my, uh, my uh, heart rate never drifted up. And so that was, I was just watching the heart rate and so concerned about fluids. And, and I think that, yeah, I just got light on the calories. So that's an easy fix. Wow. I mean, you're talking about, by the way, everybody, <laughs> this is a champion's mindset. <laughs> he's, he's run a 249 off a 409 bike to finish up with a 756 win. You know, the, these splits are insanely incredible, but I love the fact that you're just trying to dial in and find more and more. Let's face it, a, a 756 isn't going to win Kona anymore. If that's my objective, uh, I've got to, I've got to find the answers and, you know, I've probably got to run sub 240 off of a, you know, 415 bike there. Yeah. The math is changing rapidly. They're, they're, num- they're numbers that 10 years ago, none of us were talking about. And now it's like, it was always, you know, if you do a, what was it? Like if you do a 430 and then if you back it up with a sub 250, you're on the podium. Yep. And now it's yep. like, you're not even top. You, 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 no, <laughs> no, yeah. that, those numbers don't count anymore. You gotta be yeah. 15 minutes faster on the bike and, um, you know, a good 15 minutes quicker on, on the run. It's insane. Yeah. I, I really think that that was a unintended benefit from the COVID shutdown is when we went from racing all the time to being forced to essentially train for 12 months straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just coming out of that, either people were really hungry or we just got a lot 
we we benefited from like solid training blocks. And, and you know, I think we can learn a little bit from that just because coming out of COVID, things got so fast. Um, what, do you, yeah, what do you put that down to? Just the year of training or are we talking anything in equipment or gear or the way we train? You know, obviously it seems like the Norwegians seem to have found something that they're doing that, you know, everybody else is going, scratching their heads and going, okay, we got to start dialing in as much as we can as well. What, what's happened over these last few years? Yeah, I mean, obviously technology is getting a little bit better. And I think really part of it is just like, we, we need to see that what's possible. And then mm-hmm. once we see it, then that becomes the new norm. Like it used to be 241 was the fastest you'd see. You know, if you ran under 241, that was like the ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the shoe technology's gone come a long way, but I think it's just like seeing it happen and your know, high two thirties is is kind of necessary to to plan on winning a race. And it makes sense though, right? I mean, nearly every one of you train your long runs potentially at six minute miles, you know, three forty five K pace. I mean uh, not to bring it back to me, but that was the kind of long running I was doing 10, 15 years ago. It was like, that was your barometer. You know, you, you do your long runs at 3.45K pace. When you slow down, it goes to four minute Ks, you know, or seven minute miles. But really that's your level. And yet we found in racing, it was very hard for everybody to stay at that pace. But now we're seeing the best hold on to that kind of pace. Yeah, and negative split, uh, mm. you know, going out at that pace. Yeah, the shoes are extraordinary. There's probably something in that for sure. Who, who are you running in with shoes? Yeah, I've been with On since uh, since 2015. Okay. Uh, definitely, definitely been a fun fun project to be a part of as they, they kind of uh, have been, they'll be launching their uh, Gen 3 carbons here shortly. Yeah, they've got their own super shoes now as well. I think yep. Nicholas Spierig ran in them to break the yep. eight hours the other week, didn't she? Yes. Yeah, yep. I saw those. That's very cool. I mean, you've got to be in these kind of shoes. I don't see, I think you're giving up a little bit. It's the same as if you don't dial in your bike with everything you can in terms of, you know, bearings and everything else that you can do to optimize your, your speed. Yeah, there's there's no place to be giving up time, that's for sure. No. And how did it feel to, you know, to take the win in Des Moines? Because it's been, was it Boulder 2019, your last? Uh, I won 70.3 in Campeche in, in uh, March of 2020, literally like a day before the shutdown. I wasn't sure if I would be able to get back home. Well, that was 2020 was my last win. And yeah, 2021 was the first year that I went my professional career without a win. Mm. Uh, So definitely uh, meant a lot to break the tape again and doing it in Iowa where I spent most of my adult life. That's, you know, I taught in taught in Iowa until 2015 and my wife and I lived there until 2020 and my wife raced, my sister raced. So I was able to sneak in and give them their finisher medals. That meant a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, having some like alumni that I went to school with that lived in the Des Moines area came out to support me. So that was a lot of fun. My entire family was there. So, you know, those little things definitely uh, added to the day for sure. What is it about Des Moines, Iowa and, and triathlon? You know, it's actually got quite a history with the high V triathlon, which Laura and I were very fond of in our careers. And, yeah. and now it's coming back with, with Ironman. It's, they embrace triathlon there and it's a great place to race. You know, I actually th- always loved it. I loved going to Iowa to race. It is. I mean, the they put on a great event. The roads were were in really good shape overall. There was just like one little stretch that I thought was a little bit bumpy. But if, you know, you're running 112 miles in a race, you're going to have <laughs> tough stretches of road at some point. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it was really well done. The race director did a fantastic job and I was excited to hear that they have a, a three-year contract now. I think it'll be a 70.3 for two more years and then a full again in 2025. But yeah, it, it's kind of a little hidden gem. I, you know, I love training in Iowa in the summers. Uh, mm. It definitely can, you get a little bit of everything, a lot of wind usually, but we, we didn't have that on race day. If we would have raced the next day, it would have been absolutely miserable. I think there were about 30 mile per hour sustained winds the entire day, but <laughs> we, we lucked out and got a just, just heat and humidity. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. And, and how was it connecting, you know, with a TO, Tim O'Donnell, his sort of first IMAP back since having the heart attack. You guys trained together a lot, both being on the podium together. Was that special? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even, you know, Andre had, we, we all swim together. Tim, Andre, and I oh, typically share a yeah. lane. Uh, yeah. But that was, yeah, yeah, that was pretty fun. And uh, Andre had a breakthrough race and, uh, you know, just getting to, you know, chit chat with Tim a little bit on the bike as, as uh, we kind of tried to, form a group of four to make sure it was a, it was a four person race. Once, once I finally caught up to, to those guys, it may, it was a good experience all around. Um, again, would have liked to have the last 10 K over, but, uh, <laughs> you can't get too greedy, I guess. <laughs> but it is an Ironman. Well, mate, what I'd like to do yeah. now is just shift gear a little bit, you know, and, and before I do, congrats on, on Des Moines. Cause I know it is special. Appreciate Any win is very special. Um, yes. to do it in such style. Congrats, buddy. But what I love to do with, with all my guests is, is, you know, rewind the clock as I put it. And, um, just, just tell me, you know, when, when did you sort of first find your passion for sport, I guess, as a whole, and then especially triathlon, what was your journey like? Uh, sport as a whole, it was, it was kind of centered around my dad. I started running because my dad did five K's and 10 K's when I was growing up and he would come home and, uh, and go for a run after work. So I'd kind of wait for him when I was a kid and, and, uh, you know, he'd drop me off after his warm up, And then by fifth or sixth grade, we would run together. And by sixth and seventh grade, I would drop him off after my warm up, And that's just kind of, it was time together. Um, but my, my main love, uh, as a kid and even I in to college was wrestling. I wrestled up until I dislocated my hip in college and, uh, any running that I was doing was to, to make me a better wrestler at that point. And, and, uh, at one point I had discernible muscle mass on my body and, and looked a little bit more like a anaerobic athlete, but, uh, <laughs> kind of had to morph that a little I bit. I could not have believed that with you. Cause how tall are you? I'm 5'10". If I, t- I always think of you much taller than that. Nope, nope, nope. 5'10", but yeah, I was, I was a <laughs> tall one. Nope, always been 5'10", Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe the way you, you run with that, that loping run style. Uh, of I don't have the stride of a 5'10". No. Guy, that's <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, so you came from wrestling. And I so, did. And, well, running and wrestling. But then, you know, that, that next step, when, when did you kind of find triathlon? So when I was 16, a uh, wrestling coach that I had, I was at a wrestling camp and he challenged me to make a list of 50 goals for the next 10 years. And it was just, my dad had taught me early on the importance of goals. And so, you know, when a guy that I really respected gave me this task, I, I took that pretty seriously and ended up carrying that piece of paper around for, uh, for 10 years. And one of those, for whatever reason, I, I knew nobody that had done triathlon or anything like that. I'd seen the, the Ironman, you know, Kona edition on, on TV. That was my extent of it, of understanding of the sport. And so one of them was to just do an Ironman triathlon. And so when I was working on my master's at age 25, I, you know, that was one thing that I could still go after. And so 
decided to uh, buy a cheap used bike on eBay and, <laughs> and uh, do a quarter Wow. That's amazing. Uh, of that 50, was the Ironman one of the bigger goals? What else, what else did you have on? No, that, that was really one of the ones, to be honest, that was at the you know, end as I was trying to uh, get to 50. I mean, getting the first like 35 was pretty easy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're a 16-year-old kid. You have no idea what direction your life is going to go. And so I, I think it was literally number 47 or 48 on the list. Uh, and I think it was fought, the next one after that was Own a Monkey. Own <laughs> so, a Monkey? You know, <laughs> did you own a monkey? I didn't. No, evidently that's... Oh, what uh, a failure. You failed. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What a classic. Uh, You know, so many of them obviously uh, surrounded or uh, evolved around wrestling or, you know, or grades in in high school and college. And so, you know, some of them, the time ran out before I could accomplish them, you know, dislocated the hip. So that kind of derailed my national Mm. championship ambitions in wrestling. But uh it definitely was something that was important to me. And, you know, some of the nerdier ones on there definitely helped, uh, you know, like graduating college with a 4.0 and, you know, earning a doctorate and things like that definitely helped uh, set me up to where I am today. You're extraordinary. I love that. Everybody listening, if you've got kids, I actually grew up with very similar sort of dad and um, we always had the goal setting, you know, and we were often a bit smaller in terms of yearly goals and things, probably less about the 10 year, but it definitely helped me have the discipline and determination, you know, at an early stage to strive for things and figure out how to get there. So I think, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And for anybody out there that sells monkeys, I think we got a buyer, <laughs> although it's not within the 10 year window. Um, it'd still be pretty cool if you owned a monkey. I don't have Colorado. Can you own a monkey? I, I don't think so. <laughs> my, my mom, uh, I, I think the reason that was on there, my mom liked the show Friends and one of the guys on there had a monkey and I, I literally was running out of things to say <laughs> or put down and I needed to get this project done. So oh, That's awesome. So you, did you say Coeur d'Alene was the Iron Man you did? Coeur d'Alene was the first one that I did in 2011 uh, and I, I 100% planned on being a one and done and it up qualifying for Kona. And so I figured I should do that. So I thought I'd be two and done at that point. But uh, yeah, leaving the big island was really where I I fell in love with the sport. I was happy with the way the race went there and, and kind of at that point thought I had found my lifelong hobby. And so leaving leaving Kona, was it identifying that, hey, I've actually got some ability here? Was it kind of that feeling when you left Kona or was it just, I love being around the people. I want to keep doing this. You know, to be completely honest with you, when I was sitting in the recovery area in Coeur d'Alene, um, Croy was at the table and like, I was, uh, you know, a complete noob. I knew nothing about the sport. I knew that he had won, but I didn't know the athlete that he was at that point. And we were just chit-chatting afterwards and he's like, Oh, well, how'd it go for you? And I said, Oh, it was my first one. I did this. And he's like, well, what'd you run? I said, you know, I went three flat. And he's like, and your first one, oh, you know, you've got, you've got some potential in this sport. That's awesome. And like, I'm sure he doesn't remember that at all, but it's something that's always stuck with me. And then, uh, you know, obviously him winning world championships afterwards and, you know, me remembering him saying that definitely kind of helped fuel the passion that I had for the sport. Oh, that's awesome. So I just, I just had Crowey on the show last week with, uh, with Simon Whitfield and we all sat down together because we've all known each other sort of for 30 years. And do you know 
Crowe now? I've I've had very few conversations with him. You know, really, you know, bump into him at at uh, Kona or whatever. But uh, yeah, don't know him very well. All right. Well, then he, I have to set that older before I moved over. We have to set that up as an introduction. Um, actually, you're both on any question now, so we we'll have that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll set that up for you guys to have a conversation there. That's really cool, mate. I love that, and and, and, and I love the way he runs, or you know, oh. he, the way he wins. It was, it yeah. was setting up, you know, and that's my pathway to winning a race is, is executing it like he did. So it was an easy person to look up to. Yeah. Well, he's also one of just the best men around. You can't go wrong the way he carries himself and he's a, he's a great human being. And I love the fact that he fueled your desire there. And so going along this journey then, was there a point where you said, okay, I'm going to go all in here. You know, I, I have some ability, you know, I, I love what I'm doing. Or has that been a gradual process or is it sort of a one-off moment? Uh, it was definitely a one-off moment. Uh, so, you know, I, I had set a goal in 2012 just to be, or sorry, 2013, just to get good enough to earn a pro card. I'd had, you know, some good amateur races in 2012. Mm. And so that was the goal for 2013 and ended up doing that the first race of the season. And so I was like, great, I, I earned the pro card. Perfect. And then the goal was to win the age group division in Kona in 2013. And I never planned on racing as a pro. It was just, uh, just I wanted to be good enough to know that I could. And then went to Kona in 13 and had the uh, multiple flats and kind of <laughs> sat on the side of the road for, for way too long. And obviously that meant that I didn't have the day that I wanted there. And so I, I took my pro card so I could revenge race in Arizona. <laughs> had a fine day there. Um, it was a huge PR for me, but it was, you know, I think I finished 15th or something in the field. So nothing impressive, but it was like, okay, yeah, I kind of belong here. I'll race as an amateur. Came back and won Chattanooga in Ironman Chattanooga in 2014. And then, um, you know, I was still still teaching full-time and came back into 2015 and, and won the first North American championship. And this was the, I guess, the moment that changed things was, you know, I, I won. And then when you win, you stay there until midnight, hand out the finisher medals. And then you, you know, I was in the water at 6 a.m. the next morning and then give the award speech afterwards. And then I had to drive 17 and a half hours back home uh, to teach the next day, eight, nine. So I literally just went straight to the school, uh, showered and changed there and then taught eight, nine, 10 and 11 o'clock classes. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I need to look wow. back and know rather than look back and wonder what if. And so uh, that was kind of during that drive. That was when we uh, had some long conversations between my wife and I and uh, mm. made the, I'd literally just been granted tenure, essentially. I went through the, the review and, but yeah, it was, it was a tough decision, but my wife supported it. And uh, yeah, that's that's been the direction we've been going since. What what a scary decision to make to have sure. such extreme options. You know, people always. I, I I'm not a huge fan of options. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> I, I'm like, just tell me what to do. It I mean, things. yeah, it's like that's. Uh, you know, you've got tenure as a professor and you're a professor of sports science, correct? Yep. Yep. And, and so when you say you, you were teaching, was it specific areas within sports science or, or as a whole? Uh, I was, I guess that was one of the things that made the decision a little bit easier is um, I had started the program of just the general exercise science program and it started with seven people my first year and my fourth year we had 70. 
Um, and and wow. in a small college, that was 10% of the student population. And I was still the only professor. So I was very wow. much overloaded and, and feeling a little bit run down anyways. And so that made things a little bit easier. And Unfortunately, that was what it was going to take for the program to grow because they, they weren't going to hire anybody while I was still uh, the idiot doing multiple people's jobs. And so I left and they hired three people to replace me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing better than knowing your value. <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh, and so you basically have made that decision. It's having your wife with you to be able to share that and discuss it with on a 17-hour drive. Um, you know, any, any kind of, do you look back at that? Any kind of ever regrets or like, do you look at it as, as a potential, I can always go back to that or are you all in and I have to make Iron Man work for me? No, I, I mean, I could go back. I do not want to, I want to make triathlon, uh, my, my lifelong, uh, or the, what I do for the rest of my career. And, you know, that's why I've worked hard on the coaching front to, to develop that the way that it is. Mm. Um, it was not easy. Uh, it, it required a big mind shift, mind shift mm. on my end, uh, you know, that from the, the rest of 2015 and into 2016, I had the worst stretch of racing that I've ever had. And <sighs> I really think that it was because, before I was doing something that I loved and, you know, it was my hobby. And then the, my, you know, I was adding a lot of additional pressure on myself to perform and, you know, it's not my hobby anymore. It's my job. So my stress relief became my stressor. And I don't think that that helped me race to the best of my ability. Mm. And I, I was not having much fun. I was not much fun to be around. I'm sure in the house because I was, you know, <laughs> feeling stressed uh, mm, that I had just mm. put us in, you know, in a tough position. And, uh, I ended up, you know, finding that I, I needed a change. Um, and you know, that was, you know, in, included a coaching change and, and that's when I found, uh, Dibbo and, uh, it, it was just a much, it was the approach that I needed at the time. You know, I, the coaches that I was working with, uh, before were great to me. They treated me very well, but, uh, just got to the point where I, I personally needed a change. And, and, uh, you know, so I kind of started everything from the ground up and yeah, since, since I've started with coach Dibbs, it's been a, a lot better mindset. It's been a lot better to, or easier to be in control most of the time of, of the thoughts and the emotions that obviously drive your success. And so with that, have the, you know, especially during the COVID time, the financials, have you been able to, I mean, is the coach, how much of it is you, you kind of needing to the coaching business, but, or endorsements first prize money, you, you're able to keep afloat here pretty well. Yeah, we've been doing all right. I, I tend to have a, a decent race when, uh, when things get, start to get a little <laughs> bit tight, but, uh, you know, we, the, the coaching business had been built up to where it was, it was doing really good. And then COVID hit and, you know, I had won a number of races in, in Texas. And so I had a big, big part of our group was, was in Texas. And, uh, when, uh, when gas went negative in whatever June of 2020 mm -hmm. that day or that week, I, we lost 50% of the coaching business because we had such, you know, ties to the Houston Woodlands areas and such ties to oil and gas in that area. It was such a scary time that, you know, I was hit pretty hard. And then we moved, from Iowa to, uh, to Colorado had to try to sell a house and buy a house and, and things were pretty tight. And then, uh, 
yeah, Daytona happened and, you know, had my biggest payday, you know, to date. And, you know, that brought a lot of publicity, which kind of helped me build the the coaching platform back up again. And, and uh, so it was just kind of a very well-timed event on a number of, number of different levels. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like <laughs> the universe just, it, it's almost like we try so hard and at times you think, is it all just mapped out already? Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, is it just, are you just putting me on this roller coaster just just because it's part of the test, can we just can we just not do that anymore? I mean, it's yeah. up and down. And how's the coaching now? You, you've got a full, you know. Are there any positions left if people want to get coached by? Yeah, you? yeah. We're we're always adding more. Yeah. Uh, I you know the way I'm trying to to build the the coaching uh, group is I, I add one to two coaches per year and I do it through a mentorship basis. So I have to mentor them for the year, um, in most circumstances just, and that's, I don't want to create people who are, uh, doing things exactly like I am doing. I don't want a systems approach. I want independent thinkers who have a, a niche and I, you know, when I have a athlete reach out to me, um, if, if they don't want to work with me personally, I, I like to, you know, figure out what they need and say, Hey, I have a coach for you. And so, and here's why. And so that's, yeah, that's the way we've been doing it. Plus that allows me to, you know, keep the teacher mentality a little bit, you know, obviously through coaching directly, mm. but also through helping develop, you know, better coaches that I think anyways, um, that are a part of our program. And that's MattHansonTry.com? MattHansonRacing.com. Oh, sorry, MattHansonRacing.com. Yeah, MattHansonTry is my personal stuff. Okay, perfect, either perfect. One, I'll get you there. Yeah, e- either one. You, you, you'll find Matt Hansen on the other end. Uh, that, that's great, buddy. And, and look, being a professor of sports science, has that have you found that to be helpful in your professional athletic career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And you know, it can be helpful. It can uh, get in the way of things a little bit because mm. you start overanalyzing yourself. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've definitely, on the helpful side, I've definitely been able to use that, you know, obviously with the coaching thing, but with a lot of the companies that I work with, like, you know, Hyper Ice or, you know, I was doing research at the university with Normatech um, before mm. I was even an athlete. Was that and with so Galeb? That kind of, was that Galeb and, and that yep. crew? Um, and yeah, so I was able to, uh, you know, get kind of a foot in the door and then get a partnership with them before I probably earned it just because of being able to talk about them from a, a different perspective than mm-hmm. a lot of the competitors that, that I have. Uh, we're, we're able to, and, you know, first endurance, I've been involved on a a lot of, uh, developmental things like writing, uh, doing some research and what needs to be in the, you know, some of their products and things like that. And so I've been able to use it in a positive way on, on some of those types of things. And then, you know, what I'm doing with some of the Asaprof type things on my new YouTube channel, um, has, has definitely obviously helped having a, a little bit of the education background, but I was, de- you know, I was finding like in 2016, I was really spending too much time over analyzing every, every yeah, training session. That can happen. Right. I mean, yeah. my, my business partner, Ed Baker, Ed Baker, he, he, he just loves your YouTube channel. I think he's learned so much from you on that channel. So I know he'd want me to just shout out to you on that because I think you deliver such great content and I hadn't thought about it with working with the brands, but it makes perfect sense. The fact that you can work with nutrition brands or you can work with recovery brands because you understand the science. Um, and then they also get a great athlete on top of it. For me, that's a no brainer. That's fantastic. And I think you could probably do that with 
most of the brands you're working with, right? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, it gives me something different to at least get a foot in the door for, to start a conversation, I hope, um, you know, so yeah. Really cool. Now you've been, you've been, like you said, you joined Dibbo, Julie Dibbons for people that doesn't know, good friend of ours in, in Boulder and Matt Botchell for cycling. Yep. Is he, they, they kind of, they kind of work together, right? In terms of the way they coach. Yeah. It's, it's pretty unique situation and, um, uh, it's, it, we've been together for, I believe, since the beginning of 2018 and uh, with the three of us, I guess. And, and so that's, it's been good. Uh, it's, it's great having uh, Matt's perspective on a lot of things. He does a lot of, uh, a lot of work with uh, some of the pro cycling teams for aerodynamics and things like that. So just uh, having that knowledge in my corner is definitely helpful. Mm. And then yeah, Dibbo just kind of controls the overall stress on the body and then writes the, uh, the swim and the the run programming. And so you, you mentioned you drive up the border because you're in Castle Rock, right? Is it? I'm in Castle Rock, yep. So it's about 45 minutes? Uh, it's, it's an hour on the way there and up to two hours on the way home, depending on when I can get out of town. Whoa. And, and yeah. so how, many, what, how do you choose what workouts you want to do with a group versus what workouts you do on your own? Yeah, I go up every Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, Tuesday is, you know, Julie's infamous, uh, terrible Tuesday. So we, we, <laughs> we run at seven and then swim at nine to 1030. And then I have a strength session uh, with Kevin Purvis at 11. And then uh, we have a, a bike session typically at you know, one or one thirty. Uh, then I go to PT and then drive home. So uh, it's it's definitely a full day. Uh, I, tr- I try to use that time wisely, but uh, I'm definitely smashed by the time I get in the car on the way home. <laughs> a two-hour drive home? You listen to audiobooks? What do you do? Oh, yeah, brutal. yeah, typically audiobooks. Or, or, uh, it's actually been a good time to, to yeah. get on the phone, and, and you know, I'm not always the best at being a friend or being, you know, uh, so calling family or, or calling some yeah, friends. Yeah, up. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah good on you. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's been a good time, a uh, good way to use that time. And then, yeah, Thursdays, again, we have that uh, a run in the morning, squad swim, and then I typically have a second run in the afternoon. Just a quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question. That's any question, one word, on iOS or Android, or you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Matt Hansen try. What's some of the biggest training days you've ever done? I just, I'm just curious about that. Kind of, does Julie do massive days or did you used to do bigger days when you're on your own? Have you ever gone and done uh, something extreme? I've not been one for, for massive training days. You mm. know, like some of the other guys post these huge sessions. I typically do one big session per Ironman build. That's like a, you know, a full uh, Ironman stress score bike. And then uh, about, 17 mile runoff. Um, but that's really to test the nutrition plan. And and so we try to do that Mm. in uh, the environment that we're going to race in. Um, and we did that in St. George this year, unfortunately, uh, decided to be 40 degrees that day. So it didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to, (laughs) but still got the work done earlier in my career. I do some, some really big runs. Uh, I, I don't do those anymore. Thankfully. 
But uh, yeah, I think I think I left my runs uh, in the training session a couple times. Too many times on my end. I can't tell you how many races I left in training during my days. It's like yeah, oh. I, I, we can always be a, a training world champion, but if oh, it doesn't man. show up on race day, it, uh, it's all for nothing, right? You got to manage that ego, Greg. Manage that ego. Yes. That's when when I, once I met Laura, married Laura, my career, you know, it did hockey stick curve a little bit upwards because I it was not getting rid of my ego, but you know, managing that ego and using it at the right time became important. That's why I was never a great training party. I, I tended to race everything too much. Um, you know, and a little that bit of that was because my own insecurities and wanting the pats on the back too often. And, and I think that can get in the way of a great performance. Yeah. Have you had any sort of massive failures that you've sort of, or setbacks, um, that you've learned from in this last sort of, since you've been professional athlete? Yeah. I mean, my, my, I guess the, toughest race that I had was, was 2016 at Ironman, Texas. I had won it in 15 and, and really wanted to, uh, to come back and, and repeat and kind of prove that it wasn't a one-off thing. Cause I definitely wasn't a favorite in 2015. I, you know, I, I mm. on paper shouldn't have been up there, but, uh, it, you know, put it together on when it mattered, but coming back in 2016, uh, it was coming on, on the, back into the run and had moved up. I, I didn't have a good bike and then had moved up into uh, third on the run with two miles left. And I could see second. Uh, I could see second. So I'm like, okay, you have one more push. And I didn't. And I dropped and I passed out. And Whoa. Uh, yeah, that was, you know, had heat stroke. It was obviously a, a miserable Texas in May day at that point. And so, you know, that was a uh, lesson learned. Um, it took me quite a while to even just accept that it was a mistake to push. Like I was still kind of in the wrestler mindset as you know, you go for broke or, you, you know, you go home. And, <laughs> you know, at that point, uh, if I would have just kind of protected third and, and been, you know, got to the finish line, I would have, you know, had a trip to Kona that year. I still would have been on the podium and, you know, instead I ended up, uh, having to try to fly to Cairns uh, and, and perform there. And I crashed there and it, it definitely set things back uh, uh, quite a while on a number of different fronts. And it was a, a hard lesson learned or a number of hard lessons learned. Yeah. But it's so awesome to have that. I have a similar experience and I'll bring it back to me. Just, I remember having um, the, I, I was doing the escape from Alcatraz triathlon mm-hmm. and I remember thinking before the race, you know, if I can, um, if I can be a minute behind Chris McCormack and Craig Walton off the bike, I, I can win this thing, you know. And um, and I and I'd just come off a win in a World Cup in Japan, so I felt like my my running was going really well. And anyway, I got off the bike with a lead over Craig Walton by forty seconds and about two minutes over Chris McCormack. And rather than saying, "Okay, you've got this," just manage the run, I decided, "Oh, I'm going to destroy these guys." And so I sprinted. I, I absolutely sprinted all the way around to the turnaround on the beach there at Alcatraz and made the turnaround and saw the guys on the beach. Macker even gave me a high five. It was like I was three to four minutes in front by now. Like, I, you know, in an Olympic distance race, that's, that's night and day. Yeah. And, and then I ran to the sand ladder, got up the sand ladder. And look, the sand ladder is always tough. But when I got to the top, I suddenly felt like, whoa. And then I was running down a single track with with some amateur athletes coming towards me. And suddenly I almost abused them, like yelled at them. And I was like, what? That's not me. You know, like, what was that? And then it was like about 
10, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, I was on the, um, had come down all the stairs and was back with about two miles to go and on the flat and I just passed out and, and I just hadn't listened to myself at all. Anyway, I walked it in about an hour later (laughs) and and that was when I first met Chris Lieto, actually. I don't know if you know Chris Lieto, but at the time, you know, and he walked me in all the way. He wasn't racing, but, and they put me on two IVs and everything else. Now I only tell that story because it was like from that moment on, no matter where I was in what race, I never took it for granted that I'd won until I crossed that line. Yep. And, and it was the best lesson I could have had for the next 15 years going forward after that race. And, and I think it's a bit the same with you with that Ironman. It's kind of like know yourself, know what to push for and know when, right? And it's in your tool belt now. It's an awesome lesson. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely something that uh, when, the, when this current... Um current system that we have for uh, PTO points came out that like just raised a huge red flag to me because like as a athlete, we should get the lead, you know, if we're in the running for the win, we should get the lead and then protect it. Mm. But now we're rewarded for going even faster. (laughs) And so, you know, we've seen it happen just a couple of times so far, but you know, a couple athletes where, you know, they're chasing more points and they ended up blowing the lead. Or, um, or putting themselves in a position where they, you know, couldn't finish. And mm. so it, it's definitely, you know, a, a different mentality when, when we can't even race to win uh, sometimes. Uh, I think that'll change in the future. Mm. Um, but it's definitely something that I was a little bit wary of. Like, I love what the PTO is doing. This isn't a criticism, but it was just uh, you know, a, a little bit of a different approach to racing uh, than than what we've kind of had to do before or been able to do before. No, look, PTO is doing a lot of great things, but talking about how they do the point systems, everybody's talking about that. Have they got that right? You know, uh, and and I think that's still. I don't think it's a hundred percent right either. So it's definitely worth a discussion uh, of how it perhaps could be done better, um, and if the PTO. Uh, want to be great, they're going to keep listening to the pros that they got to try and do things better. So I think it's a worthy yeah, discussion, sure. you know. I mean, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, Tio and I both are on the board there and, and that's been, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, fun to, to be a part of that and, you know, hope that we are trying to keep on improving and the system that we have now is much better than no system. And, and I really think that, you know, there's a, a committee that's just for points. And I think that they'll continue to make small adjustments that are just going to make things better and better. Well, did I see, I think, actually, let me see. I, I said on the top of the show, you ranked eighth on the PTO yes. standings, but even more so, I think you're the number one American now. I am just barely, yeah. Yeah, I, Sam I think, Long uh, is just behind you. In, yeah, in I, the- I expect him to go and have a cracker of the day at, uh, at Challenge Rope. Uh, he, the, the table, he, you know, he, he just hasn't had a head-turning Ironman, full Ironman performance yet. And I think the table is set for him to go and do that in, yeah. uh, in Germany. So, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope he has a, g- a great day there. But uh, obviously I'll enjoy uh, being the number one American for a little bit anyway. Yeah, no, I, I saw that. Congrats, buddy. And it's a few Europeans. And then we have Braden Curry and Lionel Sanders in third and fourth for the, for the internationals. But the Norwegians, mate, we have to talk about the Norwegians. Who can stop them? You, Jan Fredino, and I guess a second part to that question is kind of, you know, when we when we talk about winning at Kona Ironman World Championships, have you identified sort of what you need in your tool belt that's missing? Yeah, I mean, they, they're setting the standard. There's no doubt about that right now in, in I mean, multiple different 
distances of racing and we've got to figure out you know as individuals and you know how to uh how to elevate our game because like you know i kind of alluded to this before you know when people see that it's possible then then they know that it's possible and it's just kind of you know go back to work figuring it out you know we spent so much time trying to figure out how to break eight and now we need to be uh spending that amount of time to try to break 7 30 i think mm-hmm 7.30 or, or 7 if you can have a or team around seven, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got a good draft group, 7, yeah. <laughs> I know, it, it, it really is incredible. I mean, I do look at guys like yourself and, and Sam Long, Braden Curry's of the world. The, the, there's a group of you that one of you is going to come flying out of that group. Jan Fudino, he has, honestly, I have the highest respect for that guy because he's had a target on his back for a better part of a decade in leading the world. And he's had to go a couple of years almost with very little racing and, and now dealing with an injury. And And I truly hope he can come bounce back and be the Jan Fudina of, you know, 2019. But if he hasn't, he's also had his turn for sure. <laughs> he's done yeah. incredible. And so I kind of go, well, the Norwegians are coming flying out of this COVID era. And don't get me wrong, they were building for years before that. I don't mean to cheapen what the work, the years that they've put in, but they've certainly been the ones that have, have come flying out. But I do think there's going to be one of the guys that I just mentioned there, including yourself, that potentially is going to be the one that changes the game as well and, and lifting the bar. I'm just curious if it's all mental, kind of what you've hinted at, you know, now we, we just got to get our heads around it or what is it? physical or emotional even at, at what point do you become the one that sets the bar yeah i think there's a lot to it obviously the mental and and you know that that is all part of it but i think it's you know the strategy is going to come into it quite a bit i mean you saw that you know looking at how saint george shook out and looking you know christian uh, was off the pace a little bit and you know he didn't kill himself to get to the group he he slowly and you know, mm. just worked his way up lionel rode up to the group rode with the group and then ended up letting himself get dropped because he thought they were working a little bit too hard uh for for what he was going to be able to run well off of and and those two strategies were the one and number two of mm. the day and so i think we got to learn from that you know the mindset has always been you know to to roll with the uber bikers and is that the way to the fastest performance of the day? You know, this year, you know, in St. George, at least it, it wasn't. So it'll be interesting to see how the dynamics change with that moving forward, especially. And, mm. you know, hopefully if we learn a little bit from that, I think that that might change the way we approach it. And are you all in for Kona this year? I mean, how does yes, the sir. rest of the year look? And, and are you 100% sure Kona's going to happen or are you just going all <laughs> in going all in and worrying about that? If it happens, it happens. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have to believe that it's going to happen in order to prepare the way that I need to prepare for it. I think they'll make it happen. You know, I'll, I'll definitely do the PTO races and, and want to put a great foot forward on those. Um, the Canada one is just a, you know, five weeks away or so. And so I'll be a little bit uh, lower on the fitness level for that one after coming out of a break. But I think there's still still time to go and put together a good performance there. And then you know, didn't have a great Collins Cup uh, performance last year. Uh, a lot of that was due to the setback that I had, uh, you know, had surgery two days later afterwards. Mm. But uh or a couple of days later, anyways. That's uh, right. You, know, you so were that's, injured last year. That's right. I remember that. Now we didn't talk yeah. about that. Yeah, that's why you didn't. That's why twenty twenty one wasn't as you hadn't won a race last year. You were doing yeah, well. You, yeah, I, I had some opportunities early in the year, just didn't uh, didn't execute. Yeah. But 
yeah, and so uh, I, I definitely want to put together a better performance there. I, I should be safe with my selection there now, unless everybody. Uh, all the Americans have a great day in, in Canada, but uh, yeah, I should be at the Collins Cup and then looking forward to the U.S. Open in Dallas, which is going to be miserably hot racing in Dallas in the afternoon uh, in September, but uh, it should be another test for uh, the nutrition plan for Kona for sure. Yeah, well, mate, that's, that's, that's a lot of racing. I'm so bummed I'm not going to be joining you guys. Um, I was offered a position to do the commentary work again, but with the amount of travel I've got going on with the work I do already and with two little kids, I just, I had to pick one yep. and, I, and I picked family, but Samarin, Slovakia and just being around you guys and, and, and the sport, I, I do miss it. Um, I think I am commentating still Watkins Glen, the Clash Endurance event okay. um, in the next few weeks. But anyway, mate, well, this has been fantastic. Can we conclude with some rapid fire questions? Would you be up for of that? Of course. Just a bit of fun? Sure. All right, yep. here we go. Let's see your fast twitch fibers. Non-existent at this <laughs> point. <but laughs> best and worst subjects at school? Oh, best was probably math. Worst was art. <laughs> oh, yes, you and I are very alike. <laughs> All right. What are you currently watching on Netflix? I watch so little Netflix. I watch the news while I'm working out and that's about it. You watch the news. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You... If I have a really hard workout, I watch one that I don't agree with. And if it's an easy <laughs> one, then... <laughs> is that right? Oh my gosh. That's brilliant. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well then let's add to that. You know, most recent book that you've read that you enjoyed. Uh, I am listening to the complete collection of Sherlock Holmes right now. It's been about 75 hours long and, uh, wow. yeah, that's what I'm listening to in the car. That's cool. I love Sherlock. That's so cool. All right. First car you owned. Oh, I drove a 79 Chevy beater truck. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Old farm truck. That's what I took to school all the time. Did you buy that or were you given that or was it a no, secondhand no, purchase? No, it was, a, it was a, what we had on the farm and that was when I got my license. If I wanted to drive, I drove that. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Two most used apps on your phone. Two most used apps. Uh, the text and the email probably. Training Peaks would be third. Nice. All right. At what time of day are you most productive? Three to five. Really? Yep. I finish uh, workouts for the day. I try to be done by three. And then that's three to five is kind of when I go through the coaching stuff and, and get everything. I try to be done with that by five when my wife's going to be nearing home anyways, and then try to be off the computer then. Wow. You and I are completely the opposite there too. That's when I'm falling asleep. All right. Um, first job. I worked on the farm and worked for my uncle's uh, truck shop, changing, uh, changing semi-tires and semi-oil or oil on the semi-tires. <laughs> what kind of farm do you on? Uh, my, my grandpa had a, a dairy farm. Uh, so I spent, uh, spent summers there for most of my childhood bailing hay. Good man. And weaving beans. That's where the work ethic comes from. All right. Summer or winter? Summer. Who would you want to play a movie of your life? People say that the, from the Band of Brothers that the winter, the guy that played Winters looks like me. I don't see it, but okay. We'll Take go him. With him. Go with him. Perfect. All yeah. right. Really important one now because this is determine whether we're going to be friends or not. Uh-oh. Which decade of music is best? Oh, I'm a big Eagles, Sticks, 
fan. So yeah, seventies. Nice. I like that. Yes, you and I can hand out. We can listen to vinyl and, and drink Tio's red wine. All right. I love it. Yeah. You've yeah. <laughs> still got to teach me how to do that yet. We, we've had a few uh, old-fashioned nights, but but uh, no wine night yet. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll fly back up the boulder just to join you guys. All right. Last one. Greatest movie of all time. Shawshank Redemption. Gosh, that's one. That's been pretty popular. There's been a few of those over the hundred and plus episodes of this show, oh. and asking that question. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to. It is one of those all time movies, isn't it? So well thought out. Yep, it's a good one. The second would be Gladiator. That's my go to the night before the race. You know, calms the nerves. Mate, well, this is awesome. So, what's next for you? You got Edmonton, uh, Samarin, yep. Yep. U.S. Open. So you're doing all the PTOs, and then and then Kona. Kona, yeah. It'll, it's it's. Having that extra championship race this year definitely uh, made made it a year of big races. It so is. happy to happy to steal a win on a, a year full of championship races, I guess. Yeah. Well, you do seventy point three worlds after Kona, or you make that decision afterwards? Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think I will as long as I'm healthy. Um, I th- you know having it be in St. George is really no reason not to just drive over. It's a you know not too long of a drive, so um, you know might not be the the peak fitness if if uh i'm pretty smashed but uh if i'm healthy i'll go and race and see what i got left well mate it's also great to see you on any question um you've just joined um looking forward to seeing some of your answers on there and people can check you out they can um ask ask you questions there you know any question has so many wonderful athletes and all sorts of people on it that people can listen to their answers and ask questions so it's really really cool to have you on that team amongst some of the world's greatest high performers mate so um welcome to the team there yeah i appreciate it it's been uh, fun to see how much it's grown over the last year and and happy to be a part of it very cool all right matt well thanks for your time mate um and just sharing your whole journey and all your knowledge i really appreciate it it's just been absolutely wonderful thanks for having me on all right and everybody listening you can find all the show notes timestamps links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.